Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 58 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage Podcast, the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you with me on a journey to true Cage Nirvana. That is, of course, a journey to get closer to the man, the myth, the legend, the golden hog of Hollywood, the greatest actor of this generation, Nicholas Cage, by watching all the works that the man has ever really been in. How have you been this week? Hope you've been well from uh, a UK perspective side of things. It's still very much coming home. 4-0 uh, victory over Ukraine, pretty much a free ride to the final. It's coming home and I'll be waiting with open arms. Also, uh, hopefully when this episode drops, July 4th, 4th of July, uh, happy Independence Day, happy stolen declaration of Independence Day to... Uh, the US and any US listeners out there. I hope you've had an independently wonderful Independence Day holiday and whatever it is else with the fireworks and pff, hot dogs and barbecues. I don't know, we don't do it over here, don't mind me, I'm rambling. Um, Wimbledon's on as well, completely forgot Wimbledon was on, so that's good. A little double whammy on the sport front there. As for myself, uh, again, uh, not too much to talk about this week, so I did see another round at the cinema though and that was outstanding uh such such a great film um i think it might be might even be in my top 10 of films um you know if we're looking at it honestly i said that and i don't even know what my top 10 would be but if i had one it would be in there uh mads mickelson on absolute form as always uh, we move on this week to episode 58, the 60s are coming, can you believe it? Um, and we are talking all about Drive Angry this week. Uh, stand-up comedian Jamie Allerton very kindly joined me over the medium of Zoom to talk about Drive Angry, uh, the wonderful supernatural action film from 2011. Um, we cover a lot of ground on this one. We talk a bit about Cage, obviously, uh, Jamie discusses his four methods of classifying a Nicolas Cage film and how they all relate to cocaine, don't they just? Um, we also talk about, obviously, Nicolas Cage's hog for about 10 actual minutes. Um, so you've got all that to look forward to and much, much more. Um, it's a banger of an episode, you're going to really enjoy it. To get all the admin out of the way as well, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Cage underscore podcast. Uh, you know, we're closing in on 850 followers on Twitter. That goal of getting to a thousand, hopefully before the year is out, is still very much on and ready. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram as well, at Cage Rage Pod. And please do consider uh, following, liking, rating on wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts currently for the podcast that is uh, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Deezer, TuneIn, and Acast as well. Uh, especially if you do listen on Apple or if you do listen on Podchaser, 
please do consider giving the podcast a little rating as well really helps the podcast grow and helps more people find it which is always a wonderful wonderful thing as well so with that all said and done let's get into it it's daryl it's jamie anton it's drive angry 2011 continues as we go from 0 to 100 miles an hour with the dark fantasy action film Drive Angry. This week, Cage stars as John Milton, a man who has escaped from hell to rescue his granddaughter after a satanic cult murdered his daughter. Just another Sunday for Cage then. Joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to work out if Drive Angry is the trip of a lifetime or just out to drive us mad is stand-up comedian Jamie Allerton. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm good. I'm great. I'm ready to drink from the skull of my enemies. God damn right you are. Yes. Um, as you we were saying uh, off <laughs> off record, I'm ready to drink from the skull of uh, Patrick Spicer. Um, <laughs> I'm gacking to get some beer inside that silly head of his. But yeah, so thank you, uh, like I say, for, for joining me on this one. Um, obviously, I always like to sort of just check with the guests sort of with... I guess sort of your cage backstory it makes it sound like we've all got some sordid, dark, sad history with the man. But um, what are your sort of thoughts on the man? Because whenever I speak to people, most of the time it's love or hate. Very rare you find some in between on Cage. Uh, how is it for you? So I I love Nicholas Cage. I um I think he's allowed to do anything he wants now because of the trifecta um of The Rock, Face Off, and Connor. I don't like how he's kind of moved, been moved into that like silly internet hero, kind of like what what they've done with Jeff Goldblum. Um, you know, it'd be nice to see Cage do just a decent drama, something mm. to go. He's not coked up all the time. He does. He can do <laughs> this as well. But yeah, from a, from a personal point of view, love uh, Face Off is one of my favourite films, um, and so I, I, I've always loved him. And goddamn right as well, and sort of happy you brought up the, uh, so the perfect trifecta of films like the big, uh, the big action three, which um, I think I've talked about before, solidified him as um, an action star. And then after that, he did City of Angels. So you just you just don't know, <laughs> you just don't know what he's gonna do. In the same way that he was in the um, acclaimed Moonstruck with Cher, the next film he did after that was Vampire's Kiss. Um, you just don't know what direction that he's going to go in. Um, and I suppose even before he did The Rock, it was leaving Las Vegas that he won the um, the Oscar for, um, which I think he turned down Dumb and Dumber to do leaving Las Vegas as well. So don't well, tell me that he doesn't have integrity, um, that he doesn't know an arty flick when he sees it. I imagine he picks his scripts, kind of, he puts a bunch of scripts down on a twister board and <laughs> flips it and sees which one he's going to do. Uh, I mean, I've seen the Wikipedia entries for his films in the 2010s, so I I can't disagree. <laughs> I can't disagree with that. I suppose even with, obviously, the film we're talking about today is Drive Angry. It, it's always interesting to me when you sort of read why he wants to do certain films. Um, I mean, not too long ago, I spoke about adaptation on the podcast, and he said one of the reasons he did adaptation, uh, which brilliant film, um, he didn't win awards despite nominations, um, fuck you, Daniel Day Lewis. Um, <laughs> he said that he wanted to play twins, uh, and this is like seems like a weird thing that an actor wants to challenge themselves with, but whatever. Um, I'm sort I'm sort of jumping ahead a bit here, but he said that um, there was two reasons he was drawn towards Drive Angry. One, 
this was at a time when 3D technology was all the rage. Um, this was like the next big selling point. Um, rest in peace, 3D technology. Um, so we wanted to be at the forefront of that. The second reason, which is, when I say it, obviously a huge... Of course, Nicolas Cage wanted to be in the film because of this reason. Um, he wanted to be in it because there was a scene where his eyes are shot out. And that was the selling point for him. I think he, he tried that scene in The Family Man. Um, <laughs> it was going to be the daughter. <laughs> the daughter picked up the granddad's hunting rifle, uh, but they wanted to keep that PG-13 uh, rating. Um, yeah, and then the crudes, I imagine. Uh, but then you know, there used to be some historical inaccuracies, so we have to go for this one. Yeah, um, <laughs> that, that's the only two factors. Was uh, I want my eyes shot out, and I wanted to be three D. And they're like, "Well, we can structure a film around that." <laughs> so, well, we don't even have a script yet or a concept, but <laughs> we'll we'll work backwards, I guess. I suppose knowing Cage, he probably wanted his eyes shot out in real life because that's how method yeah. he is. Um, so I think apparently he, he wanted a scene in the film he did before this um, uh, in Season of the Witch, I think it was, but they needed a PG-13 rating so they wouldn't do it. Um, so I've kind of found it <laughs> interesting that for a period of time uh, in the early 2010s, Nicolas Cage was solely in the market um, for having his eyes gouged out, and that was what that was what was going to get him, which is astounding to me. Can you imagine if you were a, a scriptwriter and you maybe just accidentally find that information out? So you're like, okay, well, I've got this courtroom drama, but if I just add this one scene, I can, I can get Nicolas Cage into. <laughs> yeah. So so basically, if I add a mutilation to this very by the books court drama um that has just a guy gets shot outside i can get nick cage in it it's like it's like i guess putting like cheese in a mousetrap you give him just something fucking insane like um a leg gets shot off um you're gonna you're gonna get just go to bed with a chainsaw or something probably american psycho stuff and these are the things these are the, the the leaps the risks the chances that this man will take that no one else has the stones, the balls, mm. nay, the intestinal fortitude. And that's why I <laughs> why I completely respect him. They also said, um, I'm sort of like my IMDB scrolling, that he wanted, um, and I'll sort of touch on this a bit more in a minute, obviously this is a period of time when his hair especially is starting to get a bit wild. Yeah, my, my housemate pointed out this is... Um... Is this supposed to be a Chad Kroger biography? <laughs> you know what? My notes exactly said, why is Nick Cage dressed like Chad Kroger? Yeah. And not, not only... So the, the reality of this film is that um, Chad Kroger is unresistible to any women in the service industry. It's very neat. <laughs> but if you're a waitress in this film, then... The only thing you like, you will put your job at risk to have <laughs> sex with Chad Kroger. Chad Kroger in his late 40s, I think. Or... Yeah, yeah, I think he would have been about 48, 49 when he made this. So, um, I think that's why, uh, that's why uh, Piper quit. You show her quitting her job before she meets him because that's the spell broken. It's only <laughs> women in the service industry. If you're a, 
if you're a waitress or you work in a cafe, then for some reason, if you if you're in the cult, don't fancy Nicolas Cage at all. You know, when he walks into that weird church where they've been singing the same lines for, uh, you know, for, while they've just been waiting for Nicolas Cage for maybe two hours, and the guy's <laughs> been like, just keep singing this line because it'll be really creepy when it comes in. It'll be great. None of the women there fall in love with him and decide, oh, I'm going to betray the vote for Nicolas Cage. But yeah. if you serve coffee or beer, then that's that's the niche that he goes for. Maybe it's just the, the hair. <laughs> I mean, it, I was kind of looking at that and thinking, um, you know, we're in lockdown 15 right now. Um, so I might as well just go just bleach blonde, forget these strawberry blonde locks, go bleach blonde, push it all backwards, wear all black and just fucking strut around with a with a, a photo framed graph in my hands and saying, you get the reference, you remember fun <laughs> <laughs> at, at people. Um Obviously, it's quite like an intense start. There's that car chase right at the start of the film, and mm. then he sort of skids out, and he's got the shotgun. And as soon as he got out, my stupid Rolodex of memes just went, look at this graph. I was like, oh, no. Now this is in my head for the next two hours of this film. Um, but I, I kind of, like, as a whole, though, I suppose, I kind of found it interesting, this film, because on paper, Drive Angry really felt like it should have been a pure top tier cage film this is about a man who is angrily driving for mm. most of this film um i was expecting cage to be sort of hooting and hollering and uh just swearing and screaming and giving us that uh that classic sort of uh wicker man rage um but this was i was so taken yeah i was so taken aback by his performance in this that it was so alarmingly restrained considering what this film was like i said this um, you know we're talking about all the gamut of cage here in this film but what what was your sort of take on his his performance as john milton so i i always split my cage films up into four so it's uh the filmmakers and nicholas cage uh on cocaine um, <laughs> nicholas cage is on cocaine but the filmmakers aren't so that'd be like kick ass right right um Nobody is on cocaine, so that's like your <laughs> adaptations. And then uh, the rare one, I think uh, there's one where Nicolas Cage is on coke, but the filmmakers aren't. I think for this one, the costume designers were on cocaine the most. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it feels like he's he's had some amphetamines or something to just calm him down. And considering the the, the name of the film is Drive Angry, He's actually he drives very subdued. I'd call it <laughs> I'd call it drive subdued or drive placid. Um, yeah, yeah. Drive drive with the potential of a rehabilitation course in your future, but not right now. Um, yeah. Arguably not as catchy. But the tagline was all hell breaks loose. I think really that's just Nicolas Cage is on a a, a nice weekend out, as yeah. opposed to all hell breaking loose. Um, it, it's like he it, it feels like maybe he goes on a bender from hell sometimes, and this this just happens to be one where he gets revenge for his daughter's. Uh, I think it's it's mainly just because his daughter's femur is being used for a a, um, a John Hammond walking stick. <laughs> yeah, um, just a nice, like, apparently quite well looked after femur. That is, um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> It's like I'm not like you know a biologist or know anything more about bones than what anyone else learned in GCSE science, but I saw that and thought my notes say 
That's a nice femur, by all accounts. Oh, yeah. I wasn't attracted to that character until I was like, oh, what a femur. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I thought, you know, you've got... Um, uh, this, this is sort of the, the leader of the Satanist cult who... Uh, Jonah, uh, Jonah King, who um, everyone just seems to hate because he's a Satanist. Uh, lovely manicured nails. He obviously takes care of himself. Yeah. Um, he knows how to polish a femur, but I, I couldn't help but look at him and think with the sort of hair he had and um, the soul patch that he had as well, that's how you know he's a bad dude. Uh-huh. Um, he, he to me, looked like a very obscure Kevin Eldon character. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was yeah. just something in his face, and I was like, hmm, I don't know about you. I like that he's... Um he's non-threatening like they literally say he this man has no penis um <laughs> I, I i like that it, it, it's they're not even like satanists that are going to be successful like william fitchner says towards the end these are idiots like the the devil doesn't care about these people um yeah and uh, yeah I, I like that that character's written as like a dweeb <laughs> Yeah, you kind of find it with every now and then you get a film where, for some reason, um, Satan is more relatable than the actual villain <laughs> of the piece, which we sort of find here. Uh, the accountant, uh, Fitchner's character, said said something about he, he hates children being sacrificed in his name. Yeah. And then and instantly you think, well, I hate children being sacrificed full stop. So I think me and me and old Beezlebub, Lucifer boy, we've got, we're like this, we're tight. I don't mind it. I'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, impose on other people's religions. So if they, if, they feel to, if your listeners want to sacrifice children in my name, and I'm sure this doesn't breach any kind of legal uh, areas, feel free. Um, yeah. yeah, there's, um, you know, a lot of grey areas in uh, the Allerton, uh, the Allerton cause. So I think this would count. I guess like the God Killer in the film, though, would there be a very specific weapon that only Nicolas Cage could get access to that would be able to take you out? Um, probably sugar, because I've got type 2 diabetes, so that would be... <laughs> he would just fire Chubba Chups at me. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Chubba Chups, um, anything sugary. Yeah. Um, if you get those little sachets of like sugar from like a roadside cafe, then uh, you are, with all due respect, Jamie. Fucked. Um, I just drive um, angry to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, drive angry to a uh, life-infusing shot <laughs> right into the leg. Um, yeah. I am. I am just kind of picturing you like Joan at the end of the film, just a tab of sugar in the hand, but then you flying backwards into a fucking ridiculous three <laughs> D vortex, and your jaw flying at me. Um, well, jokes on them because if. I'd lose my femur to science and not to, uh, or to diabetes and not to uh, a maniacal Satanist. <laughs> so, uh, so by all accounts, having a child sacrificed in your name is really a win-win for you. You've got this all, <laughs> you've got, you've got this all, you know, uh, the cult wins, science wins. Yeah. There'll no doubt be a Netflix documentary on you 10 years from now. This is a triple whammy by all and accounts. taken down. <laughs> I'm I mean, <laughs> like I said, triple triple whammy by all accounts um and i don't you know i i sometimes i get this fear in the back of the mind it's like you know these days it's only going to take one thing to get cancelled but is encouraging a man to murder is that is that what's going to get me cancelled 
is that is that where is that where the line is now? Yeah, um, it's, the one you it's the one you don't remember that gets you, like that podcast you did where you told people to sacrifice children. <laughs> uh, you know, well, uh, this will be. I'll give this one a, I don't know, a twelve A warning or something. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm casting this net far and wide. I'm casting this net far and wide. Um, but I suppose actually. I feel like this has all just been a massive tangent from Nicolas Cage's hair. Um, but there was um, something else on that. I think before they, whoever it was, be it the director or designers or whatever, decided that his hair should look as unforgivably Crow-esque as it did, it appears that at one point he did want to shave his head and sport a full head tattoo, but was talked out of it. Um, so I don't know if that would have been better or worse for you, shaved cage with head tattoo. I know Nicholas Cage. I I imagine he wanted a hair tattoo. It would have been <laughs> head, and then either a tattoo of his own face on the top of his head, or just hair exactly the way it was before he shaved it. <laughs> just mess with the producers and directors. Just, just fucking with everyone. I mean, to be fair, the last two films he did before this were *Season of the Witch* and *The Sorcerer's Apprentice*. So, assuming that these are films maybe around similar times, these would have been in the realm of similarity in the same hair. So, I, I think maybe this is probably one of his artistic choices, and he just kept this because he's fucking bold. I, I think he equates the South with blonde hair. Maybe. Like in Conair, he has that weird draw and go, and blondes it up, doesn't he? He's, he's yeah. like kind of crazy blonde in Conair. So does Nicolas Cage think everyone in the South is blonde? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I mean, for the sake of an answer, probably yes. Um, I think, though, on that film, I think he spent like two weeks or something in... Georgia, I want to say. Um, I could be wrong on that. I think just one to pick up the accent and the drawl, but that's also why he added in some characteristics of him being, um, I guess, quite a, a respecter, a, a, a woman uh, respecting, kick, kick-assing, um, kick-assing, ass-kicking uh, sort of character. I think that's why he, he, when he gets Danny Trejo's character at the end uh, and he's like slamming his head against the cage, he's saying like, like, uh, like, don't you ever do this? I think because he wanted to pay homage to where he learned some bits about the role, and says everyone's um, uh, nice to women and respectful and women in this area of the world. So, um, you know, Nicholas Cage leading the forefront for uh, for feminism. God damn it! And I <laughs> and I and that's a hill I will um, <laughs> happily stake my flag into. Um, if he was on set, like I think it'd show a lot of character development. If I didn't like the rapist. No, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know the the specific character um instruction here is to say shrug but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna call a timeout on this one and say can i just slam his head against a, a metal grate um which i think history will say probably for the right choice it's, it's these sort of lovely things why when you sort of, you know learn this stuff about him and that um, I think I've said it before, but I think for all the things, the crazy things that we do know about him, like as you all know, he's he's pursued the Holy Grail, and that's why he's got a property sort of Glastonbury and Bath, and um, mm. he's bought the dinosaur bones and all that. For the little tidbits that we get about him, he does seem to be like a nice, generous guy. Um, 
and I've, you know, obviously with all due respect to sort of, you know, Me Too movement and all the fucking horrible stuff that came out, um, there's Nicholas Cage was a very handsome young man from watching his films in the 80s. He was sort of a prolific actor there with like Johnny Depp when they were sort of young and kicking about. It, it, it's like if, if it, something came out um, about Nicholas Cage, you might think, ah, I guess I could kind of see it. And then, you know, no more podcasts for me. Um, <laughs> fucked. But, um, you know, I think the worst thing he did. I was, I think, on Peggy Sue Got Married. He might have got drunk and stole a chihuahua at one point. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that story, yeah. That seems to be, like, the height of his crimes, and I think we can all agree that's a pretty funny thing to do. I'd steal a chihuahua. It depends what he did with that chihuahua that moves it into the Me Too era, or no. Yeah. <laughs> Very fine line where when you've got that chihuahua. But, yeah, um, he's. I, I think he's probably just too busy to do any, any Me Tooing. He does like yoga on set and stuff, or he's he's always doing something. Like I would be surprised if I was doing a film where I went round to his trailer and he had the kind of the set up from Ghost. He's <laughs> And he, I imagine he finds he would find you know what kind of showbiz sleazeballs used to do. Um, he he'd find it too mundane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he would be Hollywood's answer to Dexter. Like he, he only kills the Hollywood nonces. Um, <laughs> so he's he's the people. Like move over the rock. We've got a new people's champion in a, <laughs> in Nicolas Cage. Like I said, he. Oh if we wrote nonce killer and just where his eyes get shot out, we can actually pitch this to Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so so Nicolas Cage stars as Nicolas Cage, but he only kills. The bad actors. You also get your eye shot out, um, and you play twins who yeah. also gets his eye shot out as well. Um, and then because we've got to give the people what they want, there is going to be like a full-on scene of your just your flaccid hog. About five minutes, no dialogue, yeah. static shot. Um, are you in or not? I need to think that the only the only time I can think that we get to see uh, Nick Cage's penis is in the PG-rated City of Angels. And uh, may I add, what a shot it was. Um, yeah. In the hospital as well, which was weird. <laughs> yeah. It was... When he's extracting someone's soul, he's just like, have you seen my penis? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember sort of talking about that film, and he, uh, I think it's Meg Ryan, that, that sort of sex scene at the end, because obviously he's a human by this point. He's fallen from heaven to experience humanity. And then it's just the most basic, like, oh, what's sex like? Oh, warm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great Nicholas Cage impression. <laughs> like for some reason, I as like a, a Christmas tree. Um, I just decided to read uh, the entirety of the Grinch who stole Christmas in Nicholas Cage's voice, and let me tell you, that fucking hurts. Um, <laughs> so every now and then you'll just get me going, like, oh, um, just to give the people what they want, but um. Yeah, City of Angels, weird film, but there's a lovely side shot of his hog when he's in the shower as well. And I was like, God fucking damn it, yes. I've said it before, if if Nicolas Cage said to me and says, Daryl, can I take you? I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, just like curling my hair around my finger. Um, that could have been the poster for Drive Angry, was <laughs> from City of Angels where he's in the shower. Yeah, oh, man, I wish. If if I had been um, 
or if he'd ever had a personal uh, assistant just for making film posters, I would put my fucking dog shit meme skill level of skill <laughs> <laughs> to work. And I was like, he'd be like, where's Wally? Like, I'll just put like his, his hog somewhere faintly in a corner or something. Well, I think kind of, you it it. So you turn it on its side, do a super zoom uh, and um, make it a sequel for Tremors. And people are like, oh, it's <laughs> that one of the grab words from Tremors, is it? And then yeah. you pull out, no, it's Nicolas Cage's penis. It's like, oh, it's you only get that on the Blu-ray. What? It's like that that earthworm looks suspiciously like Nicolas Cage's penis from City of Angels. Um, how many people <laughs> get the reference of Nicolas Cage's penis? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But if you zoom in on it, and uh, you have to have like an 8K TV to do this, you've got to be a 1,000 plus pound big spender. You zoom in on it, flip the screen, Declaration of Independence is on it. Hold <laughs> <laughs> it up, it's hidden in his foreskin. Who knew? Yeah, I mean, with the length of hog, I imagine there's a lot of room for text on there. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that's where my mind is after watching these films for uh, this for coming on to a year now. Um, but no, I know we're not supposed to talk about Drive Angry, but just while we're on Nicolas Cage's penis, <laughs> um, did did they do anything in face or give him the Travolta penis and vice versa? Because his, his wife sleeps with him quite a few times, and at no point does she go, "This is a different penis." That is the perfect question. And if I had like sound effects to be alarm and bells ringing and confetti coming down on the screen, um, we finally found the golden question about the golden hog. I think I can't remember if I touched upon that when I sort of did face off, but it definitely went through my brain in the sense that. If you're married for that amount of time, like you know your wife, your wife, the wife knows her husband, you know each other intimately. Mm. And I think exactly as you said, in all seriousness, you would know your husband's penis. Um, oh, was that a comment on how how separate they've grown? You know, maybe it was a maybe it was a social comment on marriage in general. Is that you know, mm. if you let your child who's been shot through you. Uh, let you separate, then you won't recognise your husband's penis. Um, which yeah. You, it can happen to any one of us. You know, the number of times I've been shot and lost children, um, oh. you know, happens all happens all the time. Um, I just keep walking in the way of snipers. I'm addicted to it. <laughs> um, no, it's, you know, this is the thing about the golden hog of Hollywood. It gets you thinking on so many layers. You pull back that metaphorical foreskin and there's even more there's even more subtext there, reading between those ball bag wrinkles for all this all this information. Well, we we get we get a sex scene in Drive Angry where he obviously keeps his leather jacket on. Um, oh, this yeah. Oh. This is three D. This would have been the perfect moment to introduce a three D Nick Cage penis to the world. <laughs> um, I mean, and I say the filmmakers are cowards for not having the the vinegar stroke, as it were. <laughs> I mean, this this is a direct shout out to you, um, or a fuck you to you, Patrick Lussier, who directed this and also co-wrote it as well with Todd Farmer. Um, you know, Patrick was someone who was, and now I'm just thinking of Spicer again, that fucking cur. Uh, but oh, this God, other, I hate Patrick Spicer. Oh, you're welcome back on the podcast, Jamie. Um, 
But uh, Patrick L, he'd also directed My Bloody Valentine 3D. So he, you know, he had previous in the 3D game. But this scene, I mean, this comes touching on something you said earlier and like a note I made by this point. They've gone to the Ball by the Balls bar. Great sounding bar. Um, my notes were, is there no waitress in this film that doesn't want to get railed by Cage Kroger? Um, and then the most absurd 3D scene in cinema where he's uh, having sex with the waitress, as you said, at the same time, he hasn't declothed in any way. Uh, he's getting attacked by the Satanist cult and he's just like, flip. she's purely gripped on, he's Hogger's gripped her. It's angled yeah. itself up like a hook like a shepherd's cane um she's hooked on <laughs> and he's just rolling around like a crocodile with like prey in its jaws this um, is kind of like the um the unofficial sequel to teeth i imagine <laughs> uh teeth gums mouth yeah. the, the full the full trilogy the cage of dentata is uh, <laughs> what's called in europe this film um as they as they say in letting a car cage DM seize the hog. Um <laughs> I, uh, I I like the sex scene because that for me was the most like you could tell they had a, like a meeting where they were all just doing mounds of coke and people had their own <laughs> ideas like yeah and what if he swigs from some JD and oh yeah what if he's like uh, he's got a cigar and and a guy comes in and he shoots behind his back. <laughs> and he shoots, he shoots, the machete hits him. It goes back and goes into his head. And just loads of kids, like 12-year-olds, just huffing glue and coming up with different ideas. That, and that scene is the one... I wish the energy of that sex scene had been throughout the rest of the film, because I think sometimes yeah. it's quite tame. Um, but that was the one where you're like, these people were just throwing out ideas and going, no, they're, they're, we're on a 50 million budget here. They're not going to let us do that or that. Yeah, no, I I entirely agree with that because that is, for better or worse, such a standout scene and obviously one that, you know, um, where the film, I think, really lent into being uh, a a weird sort of almost grindhouse-y kind of film. That's that's the one scene where it properly lent into it um, outside of the films where Fitchner was just fucking skateboarding vans around like it's nothing. (laughs) Um, But like you said, I there was... It was weird because obviously I thought this scene was going to have that kind of energy um, throughout the whole film, and it kind and it didn't really, which was still kind of jarring to me. But he's just flipping her around. Uh, he's got a, a full bottle of JD in one hand. He's got a gun in the other. Sunglasses are on. Um, she's just sat on his fucking girthy perch of a hog. Um, <laughs> although, although, quite awfully for me, obviously it's, it's all in slow motion, and you just kind of hear the waitress for like a minute of that scene because i was sort of oh and now there's a gunfight in a sex scene what is happening classic 3d um i thought she was just having a great time and then afterwards when she's interviewed by the 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 police and she's crying oh no oh no no she wasn't having a good time at all she's mortified by all of this 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 isn't an anti-feminist movie like it's actually quite you know, Piper's a very strong, independent woman. Um, the Nick Cage's daughter, in her last moments, actually bit off a penis. So it's weird the choice they made yeah. for her, that she's not like still enamoured. That you know, it would have been funnier if you know she was like it was the greatest, or 
you know, if she just still shows like some residual affection for Cage, but instead it's like quite a serious trauma. Like that woman's got PTSD. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. To the floor anytime a car backfires. Yeah, I mean, she's just sort of found naked and just quivering in that um, in that cupboard where they keep the towels at that at that, that motel. Uh, and it was at that point I was like, "Oh no, she, she is, I think maybe just one of two or three actual casualties of the film. Um, she's a mental casualty um, in this respect. The first being uh, Piper's uh, fiance, who she finds cheating on him after she's um, given Cage a lift. Um, I think that was also Todd Farmer, actually, uh, the co-writer oh, okay. of the film." Uh, who also gave us My Bloody Valentine as well, tricking Jason X. Um, oh, he was right in the film, like, yeah, and then I'm shagging a woman, and then I'm <laughs> and she's, she loves me, even though I'm a stone-cold Steve Austin looking like piece of shit. <laughs> I'm stone-cold with a dad bod and bills to pay. <laughs> um, you, you, sort, you sort of take a step back and think, you know, you're the writer, so you've got a level of responsibility, and you're writing yourself into that scene. Come on, Todd, come on. I know what this film is, but I'm not stupid. I think I would have respected him more, though, if, like he'd said, he'd given us 3D eye out fucking hog, or just or yeah. just a fucking 3D ejaculate. Like, have some fucking stones, man. Give the people what they want. I think originally he cast himself as the waitress who was getting railed in the sex. <laughs> um, and then they, I think, because his schedule, he was busy, so he had to change for that. That that would yeah. have been great if Cage had just that would know have been like he's a bisexual as well, and he was banging a guy during that scene. Yeah, I mean, he's spent. I suppose his character John Milton has spent at that point ten years or so in hell. Um, so, and I kind of think if you're in hell, then you kind of committed to internal damnation. I know in the context of this film, they say that Satan's actually a prison warden and hell's just a giant prison, which. I actually quite like that 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 idea yeah. of hell that they give. I thought that's quite good, um, and I think it's kind of a a shame, if anything, that they didn't explore it more. That we didn't get more clips of hell because the idea of uh, when Cage says, "You know, I got the God Killer. I just walked in and took it out. I'd escape from a hole once. I'll escape from hell again." There's a lot. Of, there's you know the germs of good ideas with hell, um, which unfortunately they they um, didn't explore. But, yeah, um, I noticed they veer away from Catholicism as well. There's no Catholic imagery. Like, um, they don't mention, uh, you know, any fallen angels. And Cage keeps saying, uh, who do you think you are, Anubis or Loki? Like, they keep touching on these different religions. At one point, he says, are you Baron Samedi? Which, this might be... <laughs> but isn't that just a Bond villain? <laughs> I, it could be. I mean, yeah, I know Like, I know what you mean, though. Obviously, they, they seem to want to touch upon... Uh, grander deities without just you know outright just not saying like Jesus or mm. God or, or anything like that, and he drops saying you know, a bunch of names in there. It's like, hey, we've done our research. Wink to camera. Um, so the semblance of they've been smart, I guess. Yeah. We googled um, different religions, so you know we're smart. <laughs> so yeah, we've done it. We're smart. Um, I think even with the character's name as well, John Milton, I think um, seems to be a reference to the author who wrote Paradise Lost um, about Satan's expulsion from heaven and subsequent creation of hell. Um, 
And boy, did he do a good job on that prison. Well done, <laughs> Satan. God, what have you done? You had you, you worked for seven days and then took the rest of it off, cashed in that pension way too early, you fucking coward. Um, you want to be careful, kind of, like, if, you, if you're putting your character's name as a reference, um, you want to be careful that it's not then you're creating an action hero where people are going, Milton. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not the most action hero name, is it? Oh, no, what are we going to do? Milton. <laughs> Milton stops the bomb seven minutes before it goes off, not two seconds before. It's not a hardcore name. Yeah, Milton's someone who he, he's not a loose cannon. He's you're not just throwing out uh, this hot new agent you've brought in. This is someone who's done the table work. He's worked his way up. He's earned his shot, and he's going to get you good results at the end of the day. And he's going to earn his end of year pay bonus as well. Um, but it's he, not Catherine Troy or um, Cameron Poe. Yeah, it's it's not one of the um, the top cage names for a hero. Um, by, by by any accounts, but um, I, I suppose even with him being the hero of this film, obviously we sort of know why he's broken out of hell. We get to start him like fucking uh, railing out of hell in that car, breaking through the gates like the proverbial bat out of. Um, as I think the film closes on at the end as well, because it has to. It's a film yeah. with hell mentioned in it. Um, obviously, he he he's watched. I think somehow, unless it's part of his punishment, they don't really sort of say how he knows about it, unless I've missed that. He knows yeah, they, that his daughter's been killed. Hell, he says fire is the worst part, so they do get burned, but he says the worst part is that on all the screens around them, so they've got Wi-Fi down in hell, um, or pre-tape. <laughs> on all the screens, um, you watch uh, all the worst moments of the lives of your loved ones, uh, which, like, if I was in I wouldn't. I'd find it find it quite funny if I was like watching my mates fall down the stairs and stuff. Um, <laughs> it, it passed the time. Um, yeah. yeah, that's he. He's seen everything that's happened to the daughter, um, which gets his rage on. Yeah. So, so apparently, by the only accounts, he's the only angry person in hell, um, and everyone else is, <laughs> is just kind of okay with it. I suppose, like you said, though, if if that's the only thing you can watch, like if you can't even get Challenge TV in hell, then at some point, um, <laughs> you know, you can't beat a bit of a bit of bully after you're getting something like you know just impaled in you. Um, I suppose there must be a point when you've watched your best friend fall down the stairs so many times that you're just desensitized to it. Simply, you lose all sense of self, and you're like, yeah. oh, there goes, there goes Steve again, and yeah. he's still going. He was such a good footballer, and then that's what got him to become quite a decent accountant. Now he broke his femur. <laughs> no, well, you know that was the, the the thing they say about Steve is he had one of the best femurs in the business, and now gone, <laughs> gone. Maybe, maybe thinking that like he he does this on a daily basis. Like maybe people are constantly breaking out of hell. Yeah, he says because if not me, someone it would have been someone else. So there's several people who, several accountants, who are like, oh, no one's escaped. Yeah, and another one's gone again. Another bleach blonde Kroger wannabes <laughs> burst out of the gates of hell again. But it's, it seems to me, I think they make out that it's, you know, an impossible feat to do this because the accountant, and obviously we'll touch upon the accountant in a second, but sort of by the end of the film, 
Um, he's now best buddies with Milton. He's like, are you going to break out of it? And he's just like open mouth, full teeth, just smiling. He's like, wow, we're like, we're best buds now. I'm like, are you? Were you not spending all film pursuing him and then reluctantly teaming up with him? I think just so the books look good again. I imagine anyone he's like, the people coming out of hell, they don't know anyone who he's chased down before. And even if it's like every 30 years, they've just escaped and gone on like a killing spree or something. You know, they've used their new supernatural healing powers to, you know, do hor- yeah. horrific things. And he's actually seen, he's seen someone, uh, you know, take down uh, a cult and rescue lives and use. Uh, he, he also has, um, he, he has the a domestic violence spy dance. Um, when, when Amber Heard first gets punched, he doesn't see it, but he feels it. He's in the phone box. Um, so yes, he, yeah, yeah. Maybe the accountant has seen like uh, he he likes him because he's doing you know altruistic things, and that that's where the buddy the buddy cop kind of feel gets. Yeah, it, it it seemed to be one of those things where for Fitch's character, the accountant is like, oh, a soul's escaped from hell. You know, we've got to keep the books together. I've got to go get him back. But then it becomes this bigger picture. Cage just. Like they're having just like kind of a nice chat when they're sort of driving side by side against each other, shooting at each other. He's like, um, you know, why won't you come back to hell? And the cage is like, you're obnoxious. Um, <laughs> it seems like they don't hate each other by any by any stretch. They're kind of just forcibly forcibly enemies because they're just on different sides of a same coin almost. Yeah, um, it's his day job. He's he's just carrying out his day job. He's not. He's not doing it with any kind of um, maliciousness, and you know he he only like he he's violent and kills people, but he normally gives them a chance to relinquish information first. He's not tearing up through, uh, you know, motels and cities. Yeah, that that's it. I think certainly by the end, I was kind of like um, when I was, I was I guess I was trying to sort of figure out how I felt about the accountant, and I was like, I think from the word go, he is. He is just kind of, he's meant to be like an obstacle, but he is just, and I think the way he's played by Fitch, he's just too likable, um, yeah. accountant. I think this is the only film that really has got how you use Fickner. It's like, you know, he's, he's in a time bit in, um, in The Dark Knight, and he's he's great in, um, in Heat, but the film, not in, you know, when he's ready for sex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's having a lot of fun in this, and I'd if there was a sequel to this, I'd want to see one of uh, Fechner, not not Milton. Almost like a kind of, I don't know, like Lucifer esque kind of TV thing, where it's rather than the devil just solving crimes, it's him looking for souls. I think I think there's gold. I think there's definitely gold to be mined there. One of the brief moments that this film could have been is like the the jungle buggy uh, scene. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he's just having a great time, but somehow <laughs> yeah. in the music so loud that his truck filled with uh, hydrogen gas or um, filled with it's filled with something. Yeah, is actually up and down. He turned the truck into a lowrider somehow, um, and that, that that brief moment of inspiration is like that. There should be more of that in the film. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this this comes when 
Milton and Piper are sort of they are driving angrily for the fourth or fifth time at this point. They've just had that sort of chase slash fight scene with Jonah and his Satanists in the RV. Um and then they're sort of they seem to be pincered by the cops. And then the the cops like, when I say aim for their tires, I mean aim for their heads. <laughs> um and then it's you go like that's the way, uh huh, uh huh. And he's just fucking surfing that hydrogen truck with that kind of um, what probably would have looked really good at the time, but now for a twenty twenty one viewing, that unforgivable CG truck that just flips over them. Is it kind of reminded me like when uh, like when early, you watch the early Pixar films now, like Toy Story, and you see um, Spike's dog and just how fucking big the eyes on that dog are, <laughs> and you're like. At the time, this fucking wowed me, but the, like that, you know, with a with a, ref- a reflective lens, this is um unforgivable. <laughs> but um, the other thing about that scene, though, is um, and this is something I was going to mention. He's got that that coin that's um that he sort of flicks, which I, I think it's it's called like an obolos coin or something, which they yeah. had in Greek time. For if you don't know, they um, if someone died, they gave you like an obolos in the dead man's hand. The mourners gave it to you, so then your soul could give it to uh, the ferryman who crossed you over the river sticks and into Hades. And he's sort of flipping that. So I wasn't sure the first time he did it, when he killed Piper's sort of abusive fiance, if that was just kind of like a heads or tails thing, like heads, I let you live, tails, you die. But but the two times he did it, he just turned into an FBI badge was like, Oh, maybe that's just his shtick. Um, It's just a fancy way of getting his FBI credentials out. Like is the, the way the men in black have the, you know, we can turn this into any kind of credential that we want. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I don't think they needed it the second time. The first time they already show you he's done it. So the second time I feel like he could have just pulled it out of his jacket. The the energy he's wasting turning that back into a coin, um, you know, could have been used on something else. Although I guess that when they were like, when they actually sat down and went, we're doing a 3D movie, what can we have 3D? Someone probably went, we're going to have to do a coin twice, I guess. <laughs> um, we, can't, we can't think. Uh, like, we've already told you, we're not putting Nick's penis firing ejaculate into the screen, so we're going to have to have something else. And they're like, all right, yeah. a coin. Yeah, it's like, well, we've got the budget left for one more just obnoxious. Remember, we're a 3D film effect, so let's just do the coin again. I think that's... <laughs> I think that's the film about the uh, the thing about the uh, the 3D films is that they always have to remind you that you're watching a 3D film. You get a coin to the face, you get like a, a thrown baseball bat coming at you, a jaw, um, and you're just kind of thinking like you know you know 2011 with people filling out their local cinema just going oh fuck a jaw, um, oh fuck like a ten pence piece. Um, <laughs> that's what I like. Maybe in the test screen and people were like, what was your favourite 3D bit? And they were like, the coin, that coin bit. And they are like, all right, we'll go back, reshoot, get Fickner back in. We're doing a second coin. <laughs> it's like, they're just coming out thinking, you know, that it was a decent film, but oh man, I'm just raging about that coin. Can, can anyone else <laughs> believe the coin? Like when you've seen, it's basically the same as when you see, um, you know, someone do the, 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 like, the weird little thumb trick. It makes it look like your thumb's been disattached uh, in like magic. The like you've seen that for the first time, you're like, whoa. Um, but now I'm just like, Cage, I imagine. Yeah, I imagine if it wasn't for the eyes being shot out, it would have been like the 3D coin. It's like, 
how the fuck do you do that? I, just, I like to imagine there's like little things that just that keep him awake at night. He still can't get his head around 3D. Um, but he got he got his eyes shot out, so he got what he wanted. Um, yeah. Which I, I, I guess not as momentous a scene as I thought when I think they're just trying to just trying to hammer it home at this point that he is a being from hell. Hey, Piper, guess what? He's undead. You can't kill him. But I think my only issue with the eye in general was um, Piper put that skull bandana over it to try and cover it, but which was just like, oh, that's kind of lame. But when he had the, the sunglasses on and just like the blood stain behind it, that was yeah. so much cooler. I thought if he'd kept that look for the rest of the film, I think it would have been him and his screen presence would have been more affecting, I thought. But I would have liked if he, if like the Terminator, he took damage but still kept getting up. So instead of him, yeah, like that, it's you know just the destruction of his body. So by the end, he's got an arm off, um, you know, shot in the eye. Because then that adds like um, at least there's some level of tension when he goes into an action scene. That's yeah, that's actually a really good point. I suppose I suppose on that on that sort of line of thought though, if Really, there'd been higher stakes for him from breaking out of hell. So, I have to jump piggybacking on what you said there. If it was like you've got some abilities, but you know you you will carry this damage over. So there's there's tension, and that if they'd done that as well, I think his and this is something I really wanted to talk to you about. If they'd carried that over and said, let's say, like the Terminator, he carries damage across the film. He doesn't just heal or whatever. That would have perhaps better explained his weird fucking. I don't know why he did that fake out death at the end. Yeah, he he, for no reason he he pretends to die with the idea being. I think there was a. Is there an idea that Piper doesn't believe any of this that's going on and just thinks it's a death cult? But like, I think they they try and play that, but they don't do it properly. Like they even yeah. they do a big twist at the end. Well, it's it's a big twist in terms of what the script thinks is a big twist of uh, <laughs> of Victor being like, "Why don't you tell her? They're not the the sanest plans aren't going to work." And you see that like that's not the big twist is the guy you're with is undead. <laughs> <laughs> have that as your twist. Have that as like you know. They should have had that as a big moment where she doesn't really know what's going on. Um, yeah. He just thinks he, like, it would have been nice if, if, if she found out at the same time that the, um, the, the daughter hadn't died recently. You know, I would have liked that. I would have liked a, a five-year-old kid where you think this has only just happened recently. And then there's a twist of like, no, this all happened years ago and he's been dead for so long. Um, but the, they they stressed on like beats that just didn't make sense. Like yeah, that fake death. <laughs> yeah, it was like I like I to an extent I'd enjoyed the film actually more than I thought I was going to. Um, to that point, obviously it's building up to the big uh, battle of John Milton versus um, Jonah and the Satanists, one of my favourite bands. Um, <laughs> Then he's he's sort of playing them down with the car. He's shotgunning them. He's sort of laying waste, and then he gets beaten with like the femur stick, which at this point, 
um, you know, he's already taken a bullet to the eye. His car gets shot out of the air. But as we know, he can take damage, but he heals from it. Mm. And then it's such a strange, undeserved death that I can't get my head around why they did that in the ending. And unless, like we were saying, the test screenings were like, we don't like the fact that he'd lived and saved the day. And they were just like, fuck that. Give me more 3D coins for the ending. But obviously the whole point is he's escaped from hell to save his granddaughter because the Satanists are going to sacrifice the granddaughter on a full moon to bring about some kind of uh, like apocalyptic end of the world event. He stops that, uh, blasts Jonah with God Killer into a vortex of some description. But then you think, well, but he's, now he's saved the granddaughter. And I was kind of thinking, um, is the accountant going to say, well, I've got more than enough souls to make up for yours. So you get another chance because you've done a good thing while you've been back on Earth. But then he just does the fake, like, that stupid fake death in cinema when they, they just kind of stop and the head just goes, dunk. Um, yeah. And then he just he gives the granddaughter to Piper and she's and if you're Piper in this like what the fuck are these last three days of my life and now I have a child I I kind of like that um because you you don't know he, he says I need her and he takes her along with he, when he takes her into that final battle and uh, David Morse is, is his old mate who they have that awful awful hey we're friends but I've got a gun and you've got a gun I know what kind of gun you've got and there's some tension there, even though we're friends and there's no reason why we'd hate each other. They have that scene. He says, don't take her. And I like that they they explain she goes into the battle so, because he knows he's going to need someone to look after the granddaughter. I like that. It's just kind of diluted with this weird fake death where it should have just been, he, he took the, the granddaughter over and um, Victor was like, okay, we'll go now. Yeah. I reckon Cage wanted to do a fake death. <laughs> look, look, say what you want about him, but he will use all opportunities to show his range. Yeah. And that was like, you know, as far as fake deaths go, chef's kiss from me. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think like we were saying, if if they'd added more tension to that final battle because it was kind of lacking in some respects, if they said he carries, you know, we said he carries the damage over or... Um, even if there'd been some kind of explanation um, that he's he only had a finite amount of time on Earth or something like that, like he was against the clock or something. Um, I feel there were just some, some simple things they could have done that would have just made it so much more like engrossing and tense at the end, which were just sort of easy misses. Um, but I, I, again, it doesn't really make sense why he just goes back to hell and I assume him and Fitch are just like kissing on the way back in the car or something. <laughs> That's the way, like, it's like, actually, you're, you're, you're kind of hot. Um, and then they're just... And also, that being said, um, again, unless I missed something, I know they have a bit... It's got that brief scene with Webster when he's like, oh, I thought you were dead. Um, this is someone that Cage, his character, knew from 10 years ago. Uh, and they go to his garage and he's like, oh, I heard you were into cars 10 years ago. That seems to be the only explanation of why he's got such a fascination with muscle cars as well. Yeah, it's, that, it's just kind of written in as a, we need these cars in this film. Like, he doesn't seem that enthralled. It's, kind, <laughs> it's kind of like, well, the first word of the film is drive, so I guess we better do something with that. Um, <laughs> Originally, the script was, I heard you used to be angry, 
now we'll, we'll we'll just switch it around. I used to like driving. <laughs> I heard you used to be angry. How did you get around? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think my only sort of note on cars was the um, the third or fourth car they took by that point because as a loose fascination as the character has with cars it's ultimately meaningless these cars in there there's one car sticker that said i break for pussy and i just thought you just don't get that you don't get stickers like that in halfords anymore do you no. um <laughs> <laughs> but I've, i mean that's that's sort of the limit of my um of my notes on cars um and obviously for amber heard's character piper we've only touched like a little bit on her but um i sort of noted one of the only reasons apparently she took the film was because every other line of her characters involved swearing in the dialogue. So that's, that's I, quite... I like that character. I, I like that um, that there's no sexual chemistry between the two of them. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that would have been such a low-hanging fruit thing to do if they'd done that. She's more... And then when you get to the end, you realise he's, he's using those... Surrogate butter to look after his his granddaughter, and they they even have the scene at the bar where they pull bar staff. Obviously, um, I, I should I should go to that bar with a Chad Kroger and see if I can do all right. <laughs> normally, if you see a film poster and you go, "There's the big female star," "There's the big male star," you're like, "Okay, so I guess they're gonna bang or at least have some kind of weird, unres- undeserved kiss at the end." Yeah, but I like that. There's none of that in this. Yeah, no, completely agree. I, I, I think it adds to the film that there was no sexual tension. It was just uh, Nicholas Cage as a man on a mission, Amber Heard's along for the ride, and like you said, um, she has her own agency. She has her own empowerment. She can take care of herself. Um, she's capable of taking out Satanists. God bless someone that can do it for us. Um, and I. Like I said, I, I liked a lot of the characters in this. It's one, it, it's one of these sort of films that um, I thought was going to be completely different to what we got. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I liked it. Um, on paper, again, I think this was going to be a, a proper cage film. But um, a lot of little things that I liked. Like you said, I liked the fact there was no sexual tension. He didn't need it. Um, I'd like to think as well that they weren't going to have it at all because... It looked like the script had um, originally called for an actor around 70 years old, so a much older actor, but basically Cage expressed interest in the role. He heard that there was going to be some eye mutilation. He's like, get me in on that. And then uh, the producers basically said, fuck that noise and made his age irrelevant in the film as well. So, um, it's not for some maybe originally intended um, a character. Like that, that kind of, you know, banged up cowboy. Yeah, it, it it kind of seems that was I think the the um that was sort of the pathway the trajectory they're aiming for it like the the old gunslinger comes out of retirement um but Cage was like I will dye my hair bleach blonde and they're like well <laughs> can't ask can't ask for more than that I, said, I would have called to have Maggie Smith play Piper then just just to see how that messes with the dynamic. <laughs> Yeah, Michael Caine as John Milton, Maggie Smith as Piper. Um, it's time to drive angry. Um, but that car is only 16 years old. <laughs> you were only supposed to blow his bloody legs off. Um, but uh, so ch- checking it out on, on Rotten Tomatoes, yes, 47%, which I think 
probably fair. Could have been better. Could have been worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's hard. To get, it's hard to review ones like this where it's it's done with a wink. You know. Yeah. I suspect it was probably leaning on the fact it was a 3D film to try and sell tickets as well. Um, but for... and this, this feels like if if you're watching a film where there was a trailer for a Nicolas Cage film, mm-hmm. this is it. This is like a parody of what people think Nicolas Cage films are. Yeah, um, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. But looking at the budget, it was said to be about forty-five to fifty million. Made forty-one million at the box office, so didn't move the needle too much. It registered, but not greatly. Uh, debuted at number nine at the box office when it released on the twenty-fifth of February, twenty eleven. Although it was it released and was bested by uh, Hall Pass, they released on the same day. Hall Pass went straight to number one. Drive Angry at number nine. It was also unable to beat uh, The King's Speech, which was in its fifth week, Nomeo and Juliet in its second week, and of course, the critically acclaimed Big Mamas Like Father Like Son in its seventh week. Oh, no. So... I don't think any of them films are better than Drive Angry. <laughs> no, not, not certainly not Nomeo and Juliet. Big Mama, you had your time, you had your place. We never needed a sequel to that. The King's Speech... Um, if it was the Cage's speech, like line, 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 line. Um, if it was Nicholas Cage as a gnome in a fat suit having to uh, become a monarch um, <laughs> in an amalgamation of all them films, that should be the follow-up to this. Oh my god, uh, the Cage's mama's speech and Julia. <laughs> Mwah. Each Give... angry. <laughs> Each of them angrier than the last. Serve me that up on a hot fucking platter, Um, but yeah, I think I think with all that said and done, uh, that brings us um, not angrily but homicidally calmly to the end of this week's episode. Um, Jamie Allerton, I suppose in the uh, the the Jerry Springer esque way, what would your final thoughts be on uh, on Drive Angry? Um, I would watch this film for the greatest wig on a stuntman ever, which is everything we've touched on. Oh um, my god! Yes, how did I forget that? Yeah, which I think I thought they were going to reference, like, and it's not mentioned at all. Like, it, I, I, when Fickner goes back to this, this is the guy in the church who um, is shot in the leg, um, yeah. and you're so it's such an outlandish wig that you think, oh, they're going to make a joke of this? No. And you have to wonder, who's this, was that stuntman? Was that the director? Who put that wig on that man? Yeah, I, I can't believe. I'm so glad you brought that up because um, this is very much just, um, this sort of harks back to me um, where I'm originally from in the Midlands. Our, and I hate to say this, elected MP is Michael Fabricant, who was one of the most, the wiggiest of the wigs. <laughs> and that just gave me such fucking fabricant vibes. And like, are we are we not gonna? Are, we all know, we all know. Are we not gonna talk about this? But it's just that, that was sort of giant, sort of um, Elif Elvis like hairstyle that no one referenced. And I was like, really? Of all the mad shit in this film, we're not gonna <laughs> touch on that wig at all. Yeah, Madness. so I guess. If you final thoughts, and I know final final thoughts are meant to sum up your your entire feelings for a film, um, so mine would be, 
um, crazy wig. <laughs> if there's one thing I take away from Drive Angry, it's crazy wigs and Chad Kroger hairstyles. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, almost 10 years removed, I think that's a very pertinent fact. Bring back the Kroger, bring back the wig. It, the time is now for history to repeat itself. Um, and on that pertinent note about hairstyles, uh, Jamie Ellerton, thank you so much for joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week. Um, for the okay. listeners, where can they find you on the socials? Oh God, uh, I'm on on Twitter as J Allerton, J Y A L L E R T O N. Uh, you can join me on there, and we'll abuse Patrick Spicer together. Yes. Um, on Instagram, I'm Allerton Jamie. If you like seeing pictures of people on bikes, well, me, I don't just put other people. <laughs> But I mainly just post pictures of me cycling and people follow me going, oh, it's a comedian. This will be funny. No, it's, it's just an overweight northerner on a, on a bicycle, which I guess maybe. <laughs> not funny. Um, Depends where yeah, you're from. Uh, Liverpool. <laughs> Make it sound like it's the most novel thing. They just don't do that in Liverpool. Cycle. <laughs> no, no, we, we all... Uh, we, we all get our taxis around because we're only about £2 to go 10 miles up there. Oh, what a saving. What savings. Yeah. So if we've learned anything... Drive angry, it's that it's £2 for a taxi in Liverpool. <laughs> so if nothing else, Drive Angry was quite calm, wigs are very funny, and the taxi system in Liverpool is fucking sick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, we come to the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. If you have been, we'll catch you on the next one. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Take care. Bye-bye.